0: So once again, uh, good morning, and uh, boy, I I just can't remember when I was as excited to launch a sermon series as I am today. And you've already gotten a good sense of what we are about. This sermon series is going to take us all the way to Easter, and uh, and one of the things we're going to be talking about in this series, um, a theme that you might say runs through every every sermon and every worship service that we'll have is um, the E word, evangelism. (laughs) For many of us, the whole idea of sharing our faith in Jesus has come to feel like this socially awkward thing. Almost like we feel like we are shoving our dogma into the face of someone else who doesn't want it uh, with a good side of judgmentalism thrown in. In fact, sometimes when we picture ourselves uh, when it comes to evangelism, when we picture ourselves sharing our faith, we almost imagine ourselves to be like those people who work in the mall kiosks uh, and walk toward you and try to give you a perfume sample that you don't want. You know, we we think that's us. We're the perfume sample people. We're trying to 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 give somebody something they're not interested in, which is such a shame <laughs> uh, because what should be beautiful. Uh, and what should be a vital activity for us has become an embarrassing thing and an often avoided thing. And so in this series, we want to get back to the beginning. You know, this English word evangelism comes almost straight from this beautiful Greek New Testament word, which means literally good message evangelism is a good message. It's the good message about Jesus. It's the good message about the wonderful things that Jesus has done for us. And so in this season, we're going to be looking at some people that Jesus encountered in the Gospel of John. Each person has their own unique Jesus story, their own life-shaking and life-shaping Jesus story. And we want to hear from them the good news of Jesus. As if Nicodemus and Nathaniel and Mary Magdalene uh, were, were sitting on that leather couch. Is it beige? We, we can't decide what color it is. What color is that? You tell me. Gray. Br- gray. 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 Brown. Okay. All right. I'm just going to call it leather. As if As if Nicodemus were sitting on the leather couch, as if Nathaniel were sitting on, as if Mary Magdalene were sitting on the leather couch and saying, you know, I'm Mary Magdalene and this is my story. I want you to hear my story with Jesus. And I am so grateful too and so proud of folks who've been willing to share their stories with us. Thank you, Henry, for the story we heard today. And we're gonna get to hear stories each week. Uh, But today, as we open our Bibles to John chapter 1, we're going to get to hear the story of a man named Nathaniel. And I'd love for you to learn more about him as we read uh, the very end of chapter 1 uh, of, of uh, John's gospel, verses 43 to 51. Hear the word of the Lord. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathaniel and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. On the son of man. May God bless the reading of his word. One of the common complaints about people of faith in general, about Christians in particular, is that we are narrow-minded. And guess what? Depending on the person you're talking about, that could be true. There are narrow-minded people in the world. There are narrow-minded Christians in the world. Yeah. But is it a given that all Christians are by definition narrow-minded? Does our faith take a belt and wrap it around our head so tightly that it constricts the blood flow and and restricts our thinking about life? Or could it be just the opposite happens? Our faith in Jesus opens, expands our minds rather than narrows our minds. I think it's a key question because for some of you, maybe you are feeling yourself drawn toward a deeper faith in Jesus, but something is holding you back. You are afraid you're gonna have to take your intellect, your brain, and put it in a lockbox if you're gonna follow Jesus. I think that's the question that we face when we look at Nathanael, because Nathanael was bright. Nathanael already had a growing belief in God, and yet Nathanael also had a skeptical side to him. And this morning, I want us to try to reconstruct Nathanael's story. We don't have a document that says Nathanael's testimony delivered on a Sunday night at uh, First Church of wherever, right? We don't have that. But I think the passage that we just read can help us highlight some of the main contours of Nathanael's encounter with Jesus. And so what I want to do over the course of this sermon is I want to share what I think Nathanael's testimony would be in one headline. It's a big, long headline, and it's gonna build as we go throughout the sermon. I think Nathanael's testimony would begin with these four words. Nathanael's story of Jesus would begin with, I had a friend, I had a friend. One of the things that I want you to see as we make our way through the Gospel of John, all the sermons in this series will come from John's Gospel. I want you to see that the art of sharing our faith is virtually indistinguishable From the art of friendship. Let me say that again. Evangelism and friendship go together. Nathanael had a friend named Philip, and Philip had his own good news story. We read about Philip in verse 43. The next day, Jesus, who was south in Judea, decided to leave for Galilee in the north. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Follow me. Now, earlier in the chapter, we learned that Philip had a friend or a couple of friends. He had a friend named Andrew and a friend named Simon. And Andrew had a friend named John the Baptist. And John the Baptist had a friend named Jesus. And Andrew, the first thing he did was he told, he told his brother Simon. And Jesus gave Simon a new name, Peter, which means rocky, rocky. Uh, And then perhaps Andrew and Simon Peter said to Jesus, you know what, we've got a friend we'd love for you to meet. Uh, He he grew up in our hometown of Bethsaida, and and his name is Philip. And maybe that's why on this particular day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Jesus resolved in his mind that he wanted to go to Galilee, that he wanted to find Philip. So just to recap, John the Baptist introduces Andrew to Jesus. Andrew introduces Peter to Jesus. Peter and Andrew introduce Philip to Jesus. And it must have been some encounter because Jesus ends up saying to Philip, follow me. Which the commentator Dale Bruner, who's been so helpful for me as I studied uh, this passage, he says, follow me was Jesus' way of saying, be my student. Join my school. Be a part of my group. Follow me. And Philip responded by saying yes, and he followed Jesus. Now, there's a word in this passage that's going to get repeated many times, and I just want you to note it as you read, and it's the word find or finding. It comes from a, a Greek word that uh, gives us our English word, eureka. <laughs> I love that. So, um, uh, we'll talk more about these kind of holy Eureka moments, but uh, but right here, I just want to stop and say this: that we can't reconstruct Nathaniel's testimony without Philip. When Nathaniel sits on the couch, right, the first thing he would no doubt say is, "I have a friend, and his name is Philip." Now, I'm going to guess that that is true for just about every one of us today who is following Jesus as Lord and Savior. That when we tell our Jesus story, probably for most of us, uh, I would say 95% of us at least, we mention a Philip. We mention a family member or a friend or maybe a group of friends. Um, For me, team Philip started with my parents. Uh, I feel incredibly blessed uh, that both of my parents follow Jesus. And uh, you know, my mom, uh, her uh, mom was a Christian, but she grew up in a uh, for a while in a, in a single parent home before her mom remarried, and and um, as a as a widow, and, and and you know, she really came to to faith in Jesus through a ministry in Staten Island in New York City called uh, Salvation Army, and they really uh, taught her about Jesus. And my dad. Uh, was blessed to grow up in a, in a Christian home as well. And, and uh, his mom and dad were both strong believers. His dad was a, a worship leader. His dad played the fiddle uh, in, in their local small-town Baptist church in Wrightsboro, Texas. And so, and so for me... I am it was incredibly blessed to grow up in this home where both mom and dad have their own faith story are both ardent followers of Jesus are both active in the local church and so not only in my in my literal home but also they brought me to a church home a church house so to speak and I was blessed through all those different Philips and Philippas, so to speak, I was given the blessing of learning and learning and learning about Jesus. And it started, friends, with relationship. It started with friendship. I would go so far as to say, if you try to separate evangelism, sharing our faith from friendship, evangelism ends up looking like an impersonal sales pitch and not a loving communication from a friend. I think if Nathaniel were telling us his story today, he would begin by saying, I had a friend named Philip who was a friend of Andrew, who was a friend of John the Baptist, who was a friend of Jesus. I had a friend named Philip. Well, what does Philip do? That leads us to part two of the testimony. Nathaniel would say, I had a friend who introduced me to his friend. Now, I know it's possible to be a reluctant convert to Christianity. C.S. Lewis, by the way, once described himself that way initially. He wasn't excited about becoming a Christian. It's like, all right, you know, I believe you're real. Okay, I'll give my heart to you. And then the joy came later. Um, in fact, he, he titled his autobiography, Surprised by Joy. But, but I think most people uh, have what Philip has in this passage. And it's this sense of urgency And joy mixed together. And so you can almost hear a breathless Philip after he is found and is following Jesus. You can almost hear his breathless, urgent joy in verse 45 when we read, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found, there's the same word, the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Now, not exactly sure how they encountered each other, but, but, but we believe that they were friends. And when Philip finds or discovers Nathaniel one day, he's got that urgency, and he says to Nathaniel, you're not going to believe who we found. And, and Philip gives a brief, incomplete description of Jesus. He says, we found the one that, what we would say the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures testify about. Moses in Genesis through Deuteronomy and then the prophets uh, wrote about as well and we don't know maybe he was referring to Deuteronomy 18 when God says to Moses I'm going to raise up a prophet like you maybe that's the one that uh, they were thinking about maybe it's Daniel 7 that talks about the son of man maybe it's Micah 5 that talks about the shepherd ruler emerging from Bethlehem we don't know what particular passages from the Old Testament but, but he says we found the one we found the one the scriptures testify to. And apparently Nathaniel was uh, a student of scripture. And so it must have riveted his attention to hear about Moses. It must have riveted his attention to hear about the prophets. Uh, and, and so for, for Nathaniel, one of the things that gripped him was the power of, of scriptural testimony. It was the power of God's word. Now, Nathanael... Um, would, would grow in his knowledge of Jesus. And so would Philip, by the way. You know, Philip could have said a lot more about Jesus than we found the one that the Old Testament speaks about. He would, Philip would later learn we found the one who co-created the universe. He would later realize we found the one who would become the ultimate priestly sacrifice for the sins of the world. He, he would later say we found the one who sends his spirit to create the church. We found the one who creates an international global family, right? we, he, he would say that later, but right now, he says what he knows, and this is what he knows, that we pray for a hunger, don't we, church? We pray for a hunger to learn more and more about Jesus, and that's why in our grow groups, I mean, I'm praying that we have a hunger to learn more and more of the big story of Jesus, but here's what I think is important. Philip didn't wait until he knew everything there was to know about Jesus before he found Nathanael. Here's my fear. If you and I wait until we know everything, (laughs) if we say, I'm not going to share my faith until I reach the point that I know everything there is to know, guess what? We'll never share faith. If we say, until I know all about the first century and the historical background and until I know all about theology and until I know a a sufficient answer to all those hard questions people ask about science or the mystery of suffering or the problem of evil or the the fate of people who've never heard the gospel, until I know a a definitive answer to all of those mysterious subjects, until I know it, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. That's a problem. Nobody's going to hear. Philip, who's hungry to learn, shares what he knows. He shares his eureka moment. I think if Nathaniel were sharing his testimony today, he would say, I had a friend, Philip, who introduced me to his friend, Jesus. And now it's where the story gets really interesting. I had a friend who introduced me to his friend, who blew my narrow mind. <laughs> who opened my mind to spiritual reality. Now, back in verse 45, there was a word, and I didn't, I didn't cover it there, but it was a word that, that triggered Nathaniel. He was getting all excited. We found the one. Oh, could this be the Messiah? We found the one Moses talked about. All right, I like Moses. We found the one the prophets talked about. All right, I like the prophets. His name is Jesus. That's a good strong Hebrew name, Yeshua, Joshua, the Lord saves, son of Joseph. That's another good uh, Jewish name. Everything's good. And he's from Nazareth. Womp, (laughs) womp, (laughs) womp. Nazareth? Nazareth? Do you know you can look through the entire Old Testament and you won't find Nazareth mentioned once? Nazareth? Scholars estimate at the time that Jesus uh, walked the earth that Nazareth had between 200 and 400 people. People in that day would have known the, the kind of capital of that region, Sephorus. <laughs> that would be the well-known town Nazareth would be economically dependent on Sephoris. Nobody knows Nazareth. Nazareth is nowheresville. How could the Messiah come from Nazareth? How could the Messiah come from nowheresville? And Philip, uh, uh, um, or Nathaniel reacts very strongly to the suggestion in verse 46. He says, Nazareth, <laughs> can anything good come from there? And Nathaniel says, come and see. (laughs) Nathaniel looked down his nose at Nazareth. (laughs) But isn't it interesting how Jesus shows up in the strangest places? Dale Bruner, once again, he says, Jesus behaves more lowly than human beings think God could or should act. (laughs) Jesus lives this low-profile life, and he goes this low-profile way very intentionally. One theologian calls it the Nazareth principle. He says it so often in the most out-of-the-way places of our lives, in the most seemingly insignificant stops of our life, uh, and sometimes in the worst moments of our life, God shows up powerfully. It's the Nazareth principle. And right now, Nathaniel's mind is sharp. But it's a little too small to grasp who Jesus is. Now, you know what I love about this? Is when when Nathaniel says, can anything good come from there? You know, Nazareth, you know, you know what Philip says? He just says, hey, come and see. He doesn't say, how dare you talk about the Messiah that way? Let me engage in a point by point argument with you and try to argue you into the kingdom. No, he uses the language of invitation. Yes, there's a place for argumentation. Yes, there's a place for, um, uh, you know, presenting our truth uh, that, that Jesus has shared with us in a way that makes sense to people. There's a place for that. But so often what we're inviting people into is just come and see for yourself. Come and see. What if we didn't, if our first kind of default reaction was not debate, what if our first reaction was Invitation. What if we just said, well, you know, would you be willing just to read some things with me? Uh, how about, would you, would you want to come to church with me? You know, my grow group's getting together, uh, a little cookout. Would you want to come to that with me? Uh, would you want to just talk about this? Um, could I share a little bit of my story with you? Hey, you're not going to believe this. My church is literally building a house in the parking lot. Would you want to come and swing a hammer with me? Would you mind if we prayed, come, come and see, come and exper- experiment, check it out, what, what do you have to lose? And so Nathaniel, mine was kinda of skeptical, one commentator calls him an intelligent skeptic, uh, he says, okay, okay, I'll do it. And, uh, and so Philip and Nathaniel, picture them, they're walking toward Jesus, and they're still on their way, they're not anywhere near handshaking uh, uh, distance, And look what happens in verse 47. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, let's say he's still 20, 30 yards away. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he says of him, for whoever was around him at that point, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. What's he saying? He's saying this guy that's coming with Philip, he's the real deal. No deceit there. No treachery. There's nothing phony about him. In the same way that Jesus looked at Simon and said, Oh no, I think you are rocky. <laughs> he says to Nathaniel, Man, you are genuine. Somebody has said Nathaniel would make a terrible poker player, but a wonderful friend. There's no, there's no bluffing, uh, there's no design. He, he's he's going to tell you how he sees things. And something struck a chord in Nathaniel. He saw himself in Jesus' words. And he's like, how do you even know who I am? And then things get really spooky because Jesus basically says, well, uh, yesterday, you know, I was in Judea and uh, you were obviously in Galilee and, you know, you were sitting under that fig tree and uh, you were meditating and you were praying. And while I was in Judea and you were in Galilee sitting under that fig tree, I saw you and I saw your heart. And Nathaniel's mind was blown. <laughs> I mean, that Jesus has this supernatural vision. And Nathaniel he just starts exploding in praise. He's like, you, you, you're the son of God. You, you should be king of Israel. You're, you're Messiah. And Jesus doesn't say, get this. He doesn't say, oh, calm down, calm down. You're exaggerating. No, he raises the stakes in verse 50. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than that, greater things. This man you've never met knows something of your character. He has the vision to see around walls, to see around counties, to see around rivers and and mountains and you can't imagine anything greater than this. And Jesus says, oh, Nathaniel, did that impress you? Hold on, son. Things are just starting to get heated up. We're only getting started here, Nathaniel. Okay, now I want you to stay with me. I want you to stay with me here because there's a very famous Old Testament story that kind of pops up like a groundhog in John chapter 1. And maybe you remember it. It happened back in Genesis. There's a guy. He's a twin. He's a scoundrel. Uh, His name is Jacob Jacob. Uh, he's a cheater. Uh, he actually stole his brother's birthright and blessing. Okay, you know, take my car, right? <laughs> don't take my blessing, right? Don't, don't, but, but, but he stole his brother's blessing and he ran off. And where it, just when it seems like he should face God's judgment while he's on the run, Jacob has this vision of God's grace. He, he, he lays down to sleep. He has a stone for a pillow and he gets this vision of God where there's ladder and angels are going up and down the ladder and when he wakes up he says I didn't know when I camped out here where I was camping out how awesome is this place he says this place is nothing is is none other than beth el beth means house el elohim means god bethel is the house of god I have camped out in the house of god okay But it was a dream. And then watch what happens in verse 51. Jesus then added, very truly I tell you, Nathaniel, you think you've seen some things already? You're going to see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the ladder, (laughs) on the Son of Man. You're going to see me as the ladder between heaven and earth. Isn't that amazing? Greater things. Jesus is the ladder. Jesus is Bethel. Jesus is the house of God. Where Jesus is, God's presence is. Jesus has come to bring heaven down to earth. Jesus has come to take earth up to heaven. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. God is here, in Nathaniel, And you didn't even realize it when you were 50 yards off. Now, friends, I want to say here, there's nothing wrong with a a little dose of Nathaniel's healthy skepticism. In fact, the New Testament teaches us that we should be people of discernment. Jesus said there would be false messiahs showing up and that we shouldn't just be expected to follow everybody that calls himself a messiah. We need to test the spirits, we learn uh, in, in 1 John. So there's nothing wrong with a little bit of healthy skepticism. But there's something wrong with deadly cynicism. Like many of you, I've been following this campus revival that's taking place at a Wesleyan college called Asbury. And I haven't been there, and I haven't talked face-to-face with anybody who's been there. So I'm just kind of going on word of mouth. But I would have to say what I've heard at this point has really impressed me. Now, like all moves of God, they're known by their fruit. And so it's way too early to see. But I heard a guy who went there, and uh, a Christian leader who went there, and he said, I thought this was really interesting. He says, when it comes to a movement of God, I'd rather be gullible than cynical. When it comes to a movement of God, I'd rather be gullible than Cynical. There's nothing wrong with healthy skepticism. We're all encouraged to have healthy skepticism about uh, all these things that purport to be uh, the things of God. But there's something deeply wrong with deadly cynicism. Nathaniel would testify that there comes a point where you and I come face to face with the real deal when the latter connects everything we know that ev- with everything we were afraid to hope for. And Nathaniel, I believe, would say, this is my story. Jesus blew my mind. Jesus opened my heart. Jesus showed me greater things than I could ever dream of. Like a good shepherd, Jesus knew me, his sheep. Before I knew him, Jesus called me by name. And Jesus has made my life a Bethel, a house of God. There's a guy named Chris Arnade. He was a former Wall Street bond trader. He quit his job in 2011, he was a photographer, and it was his hobby, and he decided to photograph the residents in some of the most downtrodden uh, neighborhoods in the Bronx, which was, these neighborhoods were places known primarily as destinations for drug abuse and prostitution. And he thought that this experience would kind of confirm his worst cynical suspicions. He anticipated that his own atheistic views would be underscored uh, as he found what he assumed to be the worst of life in these places. And yes, he found things that shocked him, he found opioids, he found so much abuse. He found sadly depression, he found mental illness. But he also found person after person filled to bursting with faith in God and a deep conviction of the reality of evil. He says, Belief in God bloomed more brightly as the people's circumstances grew more dire. And Chris Arnade said, Soon I saw my atheism for what it is, an intellectual belief most accessible to those who have done well in life. (laughs) And as Chris later traveled beyond the Bronx, traveled across the United States, looking for those people who lived in the overlooked crannies that he called Back Row America, he repeatedly discovered something shocking. And that is that in the minds of so many back row Americans, the only places on the streets that regularly treated them like human beings, that offered them a place to sit, an ear to listen, uh, that, that really understood their past, Chris Harnade said, was churches. These churches in back row America said, enter as you are, And let Christ's forgiveness wash away a past that you want gone. He said these churches understood that everybody's a sinner and that everybody fails. Friends, what if in Nazareth, (laughs) in the back row, in the most unexpected place, people find a ladder that connects them to heaven? If Nathaniel were here, sitting on that leather couch, he would say, open up your mind, friend. Be willing to set aside your cynicism for a moment. Come meet a friend who introduced me to a friend. Come meet the one who found me, Eureka! (laughs) Come meet the one who has greater things to show each one of us. That's my prayer for us. More and more of us laying down deadly cynicism and debilitating unbelief, more and more of us saying to Jesus, you're the son of God. You're the king of kings. You're the ladder that brings heaven down to earth. You're the ladder that puts my destiny with you in heaven. You're the truth that blows my mind. Church, this is our story. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we do pray that through the power of your truth, through the power of your identity, through the power of your love, through the power of faith that you strengthen and deepen in us, you will open our minds today. Lord, you will show us new aspects of yourself. And you, Lord, will cause us not to look down our nose at Nazareth, Lord, you will show us that in the most unlikely circumstances, you are there and you see us and you know everything about us and you show us greater things. Lord, open our minds and Lord, give us the boldness and courage to befriend others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.